Well, I was going to start the year off with someone you hadn't heard of. Maybe even someone I hadn't heard of. And then some of you, without naming names, as they're evident on the comments page, started jabbering about Isaac Babel. And I got guilty and had to re-record an old one. And because it's me we're talking about, I couldn't just leave it at that. And besides, it was really good. I had almost forgotten how good. So if you like this story, you should go to the website for a big second scoop of Babel with hot fudge and cherries. Good evening. It's Tuesday the 5th of January 2010. And it's Miet's Bedtime Story Podcast. De Grasso, A Tale of Odessa by Isaac Babel I was fourteen, and of the undauntable fellowship of dealers in theatre tickets. My boss was a tricky customer with a permanently screwed-up eye and enormous silky handlebars. Nick Schwartz was his name. I came under his sway in that unhappy year when the Italian opera flopped in Odessa. Taking a lead from the critics on the local paper, our impresario decided not to import Anselmi and Tita Rufo as guest artistes, but to make do with a good stock company. For this he was sorely punished. He went bankrupt, and we with him. We were promised Chalayapin to straighten out our affairs, but Chalayapin wanted 3,000 a performance. So instead we had the Sicilian tragedian de Grasso with his troupe. They arrived at the hotel in peasant carts crammed with children, cats, cages in which Italian birds hopped and skipped, Casting an eye over this gypsy crew, Nick Schwartz opined, Children, this stuff won't sell. When he had settled in, the tragedian made his way to the market with a bag. In the evening, he arrived at the theatre with another bag. Hardly fifty people had turned up. We tried selling tickets at half price, but there were no takers. That evening they staged a Sicilian folk drama, a tale as commonplace as the change from night to day and vice versa. The daughter of a rich peasant pledges her troth to a shepherd. She is faithful to him, till one day... There drives out from the city a young slicker in a velvet waistcoat. Passing the time of day with the new arrival, the maiden giggled in all the wrong places and felt silent when she shouldn't have. As he listened to them, the shepherd twisted his head this way and that like a startled bird. During the whole of the first act, he kept flattening himself against walls, dashing off somewhere, his pants flapping, and on his return gazing wildly about. "'This stuff stinks,' said Nick Schwartz in the intermission. 
only place it might go down is some dump like Kremenshug. The intermission was designed to give the maiden time to grow ripe for betrayal. In the second act, we just couldn't recognize her. She behaved insufferably. Her thoughts were clearly elsewhere, and she lost no time in handing the shepherd back his ring. Thereupon, he led her over to a poverty-stricken but brightly painted image of the Holy Virgin, and said in his Sicilian patois, Signora, he said in a low voice, turning away, The Holy Virgin desires you to give me a hearing. To Giovanni, the fellow from the city, the Holy Virgin will grant as many women as he can cope with, but I need none save you. The Virgin Mary, our stainless intercessor, will tell you exactly the same thing, if you ask her. The maiden stood with her back to the painted wooden image. As she listened, she kept impatiently tapping her foot. In the third act, Giovanni, the city slicker, met his fate. He was having a shave at the village barber's, his powerful male legs thrust out all over the front of the stage. Beneath the Sicilian sun, the pleats in his waistcoat gleamed. The scene represented a village fair. In a far corner stood the shepherd. Silent, he stood there amid the carefree crowd. First he hung his head. Then he raised it, and beneath the weight of his attentive and burning gaze... Giovanni started stirring and fidgeting in his barber chair. Till pushing the barber aside, he leaped to his feet. In a voice shaking with passion, he demanded that the policeman should remove from the village square all persons of a gloomy and suspicious aspect. The shepherd, the part was played by de Grasso himself, stood there. "'lost in thought. "'Then he gave a smile, "'soared into the air, "'sailed across the stage, "'plunged down on Giovanni's shoulders, "'and, having bitten through the latter's throat, "'began, growling and squinting, "'to suck blood from the wound.' Giovanni collapsed, and the curtain, falling noiselessly and full of menace, hid from us, killed and killer. Waiting for no more, we dashed to the box office in Theatre Lane, which was to open the next day, Nick Schwartz beating the rest by a short neck. Came the dawn, and with it the Odessa News informed the few people who had been at the theatre that they had seen the most remarkable actor of the century. On this visit, de Grasso played King Lear, Othello, Civil Death, Turgenev's The Parasite, confirming with every word and every gesture that there is more justice in outbursts of noble passion than in all the joyless rules that run the world. 
tickets for these shows were snapped up at five times face value. Scouting round for ticket traders, would-be purchasers found them at the inn, yelling their heads off, purple, vomiting a harmless sacrilege. A pink and dusty sultriness was injected into Theatre Lane. Shopkeepers in felt slippers bore green bottles of wine and barrels of oil out onto the pavement. In tubs outside the shops, macaroni seethed in foaming water, and the steam from it melted in the distant skies. Old women in men's boots dealt in seashells and souvenirs, pursuing hesitant purchasers with loud cries. Moneyed Jews with beards parted down the middle and combed to either side would drive up to the northern hotel and tap discreetly on the doors of fat women with raven hair and little moustaches, de Grasso's actresses. All were happy in Theatre Lane, all that is, save for one person. I was that person. In those days, catastrophe was approaching me. At any moment, my father might miss the watch I had taken without his permission and pawned to Nick Schwartz. Having had the gold turnip long enough to get used to it, and being a man who replaced tea as his morning drink by Bessarabian wine, Nick Schwartz, even with his money back, could still not bring himself to return the watch to me. Such was his character. And being a man who replaced tea as his morning drink by Bessarabian wine, Nick Schwartz, even with his money back, could still not bring himself to return the watch to me. Such was his character. And my father's character differed in no wise from his. Hemmed in by these two characters, I sorrowfully watched other people enjoying themselves. Nothing remained for me but to run away to Constantinople. I had made all the arrangements with the second engineer of the SS Duke of Kent, but before embarking on the deep, I decided to say goodbye to de Grasso. For the last time, he was playing the shepherd who was swung aloft by an incomprehensible power. In the audience were all the Italian colony, with a bold but shapely consul at their head. There were fidgety Greeks and bearded externs with their gaze fastened fanatically upon some point invisible to all other mortals. There was the long-armed Utochkin. Nick Schwartz had even brought his missus in a violet shawl with a fringe. A woman with all the makings of a grenadier she was, stretching right out to the steps and with a sleepy little crumpled face at the far end. When the curtain fell, this face was drenched in tears. "'Now you see what love means,' she said to Nick as they were leaving the theatre. Stomping ponderously, 
Madame Schwartz moved along Langeron Street. Tears rolled from her fish-like eyes, and the shawl with the fringe shuddered on her obese shoulders. Dragging her mannish soles, rocking her head, she reckoned up, in a voice that made the street re-echo, the women who got on well with their husbands. Ducky they're called by their husbands, sweetie pie they're called. The cowed Nick walked along by his wife, quietly blowing on his silky moustaches. From force of habit I followed on behind, sobbing. During a momentary pause, Madame Schwartz heard my sobs and turned around. "'See here,' she said to her husband, her fish eyes a goggle. "'May I not die a beautiful death if you don't give the boy his watch back?' Nick froze, mouth agape, then came to and, giving me a vicious pinch, thrust the watch at me sideways. "'What can I expect of him?' the coarse and tear-muffled voice of Madame Schwartz wailed disconsolately as it moved into the distance. "'What can I expect but beastliness today and beastliness tomorrow? "'I ask you, how long is a woman supposed to put up with it?' They reached the corner and turned into Pushkin Street. I stood there clutching the watch, alone, and suddenly, with a distinctness such as I had never before experienced, I saw the columns of the municipal building soaring up into the heights. The gas-lit foliage of the boulevard, Pushkin's bronze head touched by the dim gleam of the moon, saw for the first time the things surrounding me as they really were, frozen in silence and ineffably beautiful.'